Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On the program tonight, Ontario shuts down further and asks for emergency help from other provinces as it faces a possible 20,000 infections a day in a month's time. We'll hear from the mayor of Mississauga in one of the province's COVID-19 hotspots about the healthcare crisis in her city. The Canadian Medical Association says the pandemic has reached a new level requiring a national response, and it warns less affected provinces not to wait until they face a situation as bad as Ontario. And our journalist panel will be in to talk pandemic and the climate change policy of the Conservatives. And we start with the ever-increasing impact of the pandemic in Ontario. The latest modelling from the province's public health officials suggests that the province could be facing a worst-case scenario of as many as 20,000 infections a day by the end of May. However, with increased public health restrictions and the current level of vaccination, that number could be kept under 5,000. The data suggests that 1,000 Ontarians will be in intensive care. That's way beyond the normal capacity of the healthcare system. So faced with those figures, Premier Doug Ford announced new, tighter public health measures aimed at restricting social gatherings, extending the province's stay-at-home order to six weeks, and banning non-essential interprovincial travel. The reality is there are few options left. We have implemented the strictest measures in all of North America. And the difficult truth is every public health measure we have left comes with a massive cost to people and their lives. But we have never shied away from doing what's necessary. And it comes down to two, three three things. Limiting mobility, enforcing the rules, and getting vaccines into arms. Ontario Premier Doug Ford announcing new public health restrictions and measures. Now, he was reacting to the province's latest public health uh, modelling, which suggests that Ontario could face a worst-case scenario of up to 20,000 new infections a day by the end of May. Or, in the other case, 5,000 cases with more extensive public health measures. Now, in a letter to the other provinces and territories, Ontario's Deputy Minister of Health asked them if they might be able to send medical personnel to Ontario. In Ottawa, Prime Minister Trudeau was asked about whether the federal government might help organize the transfer of medical personnel to Ontario. Here's his response. We are there to help. Uh, We look forward to uh, delivering uh, any and all supports that they need. Uh, Those conversations are extremely live right now and ongoing. Uh, I know there's also been discussions uh, about health care resources uh, from other provinces uh, turning towards Ontario. These these are all the things that we're working very, very hard on right now to respond to the extremely difficult situation in Ontario. Joining me now from Peel Region, one of the regions in Ontario hardest hit by the pandemic, is the mayor of Mississauga, Bonnie Crombie. Mayor Crombie, thanks for joining us. And thanks for having me today. Okay, you spoke with the Prime Minister last night along with Mayor Tory and I believe Mayor Brown uh, from Peel Region. Um, Let's talk about the situation that you're facing right now in your city and in the region with COVID cases and the healthcare system. What is it? So clearly, I think the Prime Minister wanted to touch base with those mayors who are on the ground right now. It's very important to him 
to hear from us directly how dire the situation is in Peel Region and Toronto, which are really the infernos, the hotspots of COVID right now, largely because of the essential workers that are employed here and the density of the population. And of course, it's spreading through community spread, household transmission and workplaces as well. So if I can paint a picture for you, we have over 300 positive COVID patients that are hospitalized in our hospitals here in Peel right now. Over 50 of them are in the ICU. We are transferring patients out without their consent to neighboring hospitals in other regions such as London and Niagara and Kingston in Ottawa that have capacity to take additional patients. What we're seeing is younger people coming in with very severe symptoms, staying longer, a two and a half times uh, likelihood of them going into the ICU um, and just the length of stay is n not like anything we have seen. Suspected cases, also we have people waiting to get confirmation that they're COVID positive, over, over 150 of them in our hospitals. What we're seeing is that uh, we had been increasing cases by 35% uh, each week. Now cases are increasing of 50% each week. So this is not uh, it's slowing down by any measure. And, and it is the rise of the new variants. We have a okay. presence of both the South African, the Brazilian, and the UK variants here in Peel. Okay, let me ask you a question, because people who've been watching Ontario have seen that Peel region and Toronto, the city of Toronto, you've been under the Ontario's highest state of alert since November. You've been under grey alert since November, and the case numbers went down slightly, but you never got out of grey alert, per se. Uh, so what do you need in terms of the shutdown? Yeah, we have typically run about, uh, we're 10% of the population and 20% of all the cases here in Ontario. Lockdown has been effective to a degree. However, what we see is a greater density of people here that are living in Peel region and that we employ the essential workers, uh, the warehousing folks, manufacturing, food processing, uh, etc. People who would drive our economy, people who are essential to keeping our economy going, who don't have the ability, like many of us, to the safety of working from home. So that's the situation. It's quite unique and quite dire here. And what we need is a greater allocation of vaccine, a greater supply of a vaccine in the gray zone areas, Toronto, Mississauga, and Brampton. And until we can control that virus in the hotspots, life cannot get back to normal in the balance of the province. So we're really holding back the Kingstons and the Peterboroughs and the Windsors and the Sudburys, uh, because until you can control it here, it can, that virus cannot be controlled. Okay, some so people would, okay, but some people would argue, though, that, I mean, the, the essential services you're describing, a lot of them were closed uh, last spring. I mean, a lot of the consumption, a lot of the, uh, you know, the curbside pickup uh, were closed mm -hmm. and that that will go a long way to dealing with a lot of the rays. I mean, granted, the vaccines will help, but th there, there's a need for a real, a real lockdown. So certainly I'm not speaking about our retailers or our uh, personal care providers or our restaurants. I'm speaking about warehousing and yeah. manufacturing okay. and food processing, et cetera. Right. Those large employers, we saw 900 cases in the Amazon. We saw Canada Post affected by over 300 cases. I'm talking about those large workplaces. Okay. So yeah. in addition to direct supply of vaccine right at those workplaces, what we need is sick pay benefits. And that is something that the Prime Minister and I spoke about last night. The program that is established here in Ontario is not working. We need an allocation 
allocation of sick leave. Ten days would be perfect. Uh, and we need sick pay benefits that work for these employers because they're not being compensated for the three days they're spending waiting for their test results or for their first week off. They have to be off longer than a week. And what we do know is they're making the choice to continue to go to work to receive their paycheck rather than staying home and recovering. We have had research done here. 8,000 uh, individuals at places of employment uh, were followed from August to January 2020 to 2021. And what we saw of those 8,000 people, 2,000 of them continue to go to work symptomatic while they're waiting for their test results. And in addition, another 80 of them continue to go to work after a positive test. So that just tells you they are continuing to go to work because they need to. They need the paycheck. Yeah. The current program, the Canadian Sickness Response Benefit, does not work for our employees. They, it's less than minimum wage and they make more money going to work and they need to. Okay, well, that brings up the last question then, and that is that <laughs> Doug Ford, the Premier, has consistently, and when he announced uh, the latest lockdown measures and now the new lockdown measures today, but he's consistently said that the federal government program is working and that he's not about to... He says basically what's needed is just the federal government and every levels to better publicize the existing program. So certainly uh, people do not know how to access the program. That is clearly uh, one of the one of the issues. We need more communication on how to better access that program. I'm aware that there is money sitting in that fund, but it, it does not address everyone. It is insufficient. It's cumbersome to apply. You have to apply when you're sick, and it's very limited. It's finite. And certainly if you're making more than minimum wage and have to support a large family, you are going to make that choice to continue to go to work and hide your symptoms rather than staying home and recovering. What we've been suggesting is that there will be sick leave allocated to those workers and that the federal government backstop those large employers so that their wages are seamless to the individuals, to those workers, so that they continue to be paid and that those companies uh, receive compensation, financial compensation from the federal government through the program instead. This is the conversation the Prime Minister and I had last night. I know that he listened. He did tell me that the situation was unique and varied right across the prov right across the country and that there were some provinces that were doing so and so we just we need to bring the premier along here in Ontario to to do the same. Okay Mayor Crombie I want to thank you very much and I want to wish you all the best of luck as we enter a, a very perilous uh, phase. Thanks a lot. We are thank you. The mayor of Mississauga, Ontario, Bonnie Crombie. Now, you heard Mayor Crombie refer to the possibility of readjusting the federal distribution of COVID-19 vaccines to target areas of the country which are particularly hard hit. Prime Minister Trudeau was asked about that possibility on Friday. These have been uh, conversations we've had ongoing with the provinces over the past many months. Working with the provinces, we uh, arrived at a per capita allocation formula uh, with a carve-out for uh, the northern uh, territories uh, to make sure that they could get uh, uh, rapidly vaccinated because of the level of vulnerability. Uh, but of course, uh, we're happy to continue to work with the provinces on adjustings as, uh, as uh, the provinces see uh, necessary. Well, the crisis in Ontario is not unique. Alberta actually has a higher per capita infection rate and is widely expected that hospitalizations in that province will continue to rise in the coming weeks. And British Columbia for the past two weeks has been setting new pandemic records for infections and hospitalizations. The Canadian Medical Association has issued an urgent call for a new national response to the third wave of the pandemic. And it says what's needed will be unprecedented public health measures. Joining me now is Dr. Ann Collins. She's the president of the Canadian Medical Association. She joins me from Fredericton. Dr. Collins, thank you very much for taking the time. 
Thank you for having me. Now, when you call for a new national response, what needs to be done? So many things. Uh, number one, more stringent and sustained public health measures. We've seen a lot of half measures that haven't worked. So uh, whatever needs to be done with reference to lockdowns, uh, limiting gatherings, uh, indoors, uh, outdoors, whether there needs to be further restrictions put on retail operations, anything that enforces the stay-at-home policy to, to have uh, people having less interaction with one another. The game's changed. These variants are much more transmissible, much e more easily transmissible, and people are getting sicker. We are now starting to see what we talked about from the very beginning. The healthcare system is strained. It is at risk in many areas in this country, and there need to be resources brought into those very those areas that are in a very dire, very critical state right now. Equipment and, and personnel uh, to care for, for COVID patients. There are a lot of other people in Canada getting sick at the same time. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be uh, greater prioritization and targeting a vaccine in those highly vulnerable, highly susceptible neighborhoods uh, in the country where essential workers live um, to keep them protected and further protection for them as well with respect to paid paid sick days. Okay, so I want to take you up on three different points there. First of all, you say potential transfer of health resources, health personnel across the country as needed. You heard the Prime Minister today, he was asked about that. What's the potential for maybe some provinces helping out others? Didn't seem to have a concrete answer. What do you make of the way he replied? Well, that's why we've made this call. We need to see federal leadership. We need to see provinces need help. They need help with the provision of care to patients, but they also need help with collaboration and cooperation so that where there are those uh, resources available to be moved uh, either within a province from one province to another or wherever, nothing should be off the table here. There needs to be a coordinated national response to, to get this to happen before even more lives are lost. Okay, I want to get to vaccines in a minute, but you also in your letter or in your message to governments, you say that, and, and you mentioned that the, raise, the rising rates of infection, you said that provinces that have not gotten into as much trouble as Ontario is now in should also be reacting and not waiting until they get into a situation like Ontario. Well, that would then pose the question, do provinces have a lot of resources, maybe with the exception of Atlantic provinces, do provinces have a lot of resources to, to spread around if they're all facing similar, uh, similar outbreaks, similar surges from this third wave? Yeah, that's a great question, and, and it's, a real, it's a real question. But again, that speaks to the need for a national uh, effort here to, to find out what is there, who can move. We're a big country. This is a national emergency. Uh, we see um, people deployed in other circumstances uh, with, with natural disasters. We need to apply that same kind of thinking, that strategizing, that logistical um, um, effort to, to garner those resources, bring them together and get to where they are most needed. Okay, you also mentioned vaccines, and let's get to it. Uh, I asked uh, Bonnie Crombie, the mayor of Mississauga, and she mentioned that one of the discussions was they're asking the federal government, they want the federal government and the 
Prime Minister was asked point blank about it, about to reallocate vaccine distribution to harder hit areas. He didn't respond to that. He just said that the agreement so far has been distribution per capita with the provinces with a special carve out for northern indigenous regions. What do you make of how he replied? And do you think there is an appetite for some provinces to share vaccines or some regions to share vaccines with others? Nobody makes this request lightly. None of us wants to be in this situation. But if we keep in mind that the basis for this request is that people are dying and and it's disproportionately affecting people in high risk, vulnerable neighborhoods, high density housing, lots of essential workers, um, we need to target those areas and again, I can't overemphasize here that the bottom line is to save lives. So, as I said, this, there's been much fluidity in this pandemic. This is another situation. We're at that point where our healthcare system is taxed beyond its limit, really. And so all of these measures are critical to saving lives. Uh, you're in Fredericton. Uh, I remember in January it was made uh, public that both New Brunswick and Nova Scotia accepted to see some of their early deliveries of vaccines, I think it was Moderna, uh, diverted to northern communities, northern and indigenous communities, and both premiers uh, and both publics in general. Uh, we're okay with that. Do you think there's still that attitude, uh, A, in the Atlantic provinces, but B, elsewhere in the, in the, in the country? Because we've seen an, in, an increasing intensity of demand, expectation, and worry about getting vaccinated. Absolutely. And I think that we, we, we have to remember that we could all potentially be in this situation. And many other parts of the country are in this situation right now, or pockets have been. Um, so diversion may be a temporary thing, but let's get those vaccines to those people that are being most profoundly affected by the uh, pandemic right now. The, the question, we don't want to be in the position that we are deciding who's going to survive this and who isn't because our resources are taxed beyond the limit. That's the whole basis of this. This is an emergency. Okay, in, in, in just 20 seconds, I mean, when we look at Ontario and the latest figures, do you think uh, Canada's most populous province is on a tipping point? How, how dire do you think this situation is from what you see and what you in, talk to? It's, it's very dire. I mean, over 700 patients in ICU today in Ontario. Modeling numbers came out uh, yesterday that are just beyond even thinking about. Uh, we don't want to get there. Um, but if we don't change something dramatically right now, um, it, because it'll take weeks to see benefit, we will be there. So yes, is the tipping point here? Are we on that other side of the tip? Yes. Okay. Listen, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Collins. Thanks for sharing your time. Thank you for having me. Well, to look at the latest developments on the pandemic front and other political developments, I'm joined now by Laura Stone. She's a political reporter covering Ontario politics and federal politics for the Globe and Mail. And joining me from Calgary is Erica Eiffel. She's a columnist for the Health Times, and she's a co-host of the Bad and Bitchy podcast. Both of you, thanks and welcome to what is a busy day today. Um, let's start. Laura, uh, you are filing today on the, this huge story about uh, Doug Ford. Premier is now, in, he's enhancing, he's tightening uh, public health restrictions 
uh, public health measures, including uh, controls on the borders, uh, lengthening a stay-at-home order. He's been facing some increasingly worrisome projections. What do you make of what was announced today? Well, this is a, simply a, a huge bombshell here in Ontario, really focused on limiting people's mobility, stopping people from leaving the house. So two things that really stuck out. One, the government is now going to set up checkpoints at interprovincial borders of Manitoba and Quebec to stop people from traveling uh, non-essentially. There are some exemptions to that. Uh, and then the, the second is beefing up police powers. Police and bylaw officers will now have the legal right to stop people outside of their homes, ask why they aren't at home and to give tickets uh, if, if people refuse to comply. So uh, this certainly flies in the face of what many uh, public health experts have been calling for, uh, including um, more uh, more measures to help essential workers, people who can't work yeah. from home. And, and we've heard so many times an enhancement of the federal sick pay program is needed. So I, I think this is controversial on both sides of the fence, Martin, right. uh, for both conservative supporters who are wondering why we're closing playgrounds and other outdoor activities. And, of course, from the medical community who will say this is simply targeting all the wrong things. Okay, yeah, because I want to ask you that, and I want to get to Erica, but I want to ask you that there, is, there were repeated questions in his press conference about he's not shutting down large manufacturing, distri distribution centers, things that were shut down in the spring. And given the, f the, the figures that, he's been, that are facing him, uh, how does he answer that? Well, the premier says that the supply chain is very, very deep and, you know, closing one uh, factory, for instance, sets off a chain of events. And uh, while that's certainly the case, I think, uh, you know, there have been calls certainly at least to protect, uh, to better protect uh, those who work in essential workplaces to get vaccines to them faster and more efficiently. Of course, we are facing a vaccine shortage, and I think that is uh, definitely part of this story, but I think a, a lot of people were expecting or, or maybe hoping for more measures to address spread in those essential yeah. workplaces. Okay, Erica, let's go to Calgary. You're in Calgary. Alberta actually has a higher per capita infection rate than Ontario. It's got the highest in the country. Everyone is yeah. predicting that the, uh, the number of hospitalizations and everything is just a bit of a lag compared to Ontario. The Premier has been getting it from both sides. How is Premier Jason Kenney faring politically faced with what he has done or what he hasn't done? Well, not well. Uh, actually abysmal. The... I, I would say that the fall of Jason Kenney politically due to this pandemic and his response to this pandemic is a story in and of itself. Um, as we, I think there was a poll that just came out recently that talked about, um, that showed that Jason Kenney's popularity has plummeted mm. in this in this province since he was elected. And the reasons are, is honestly, it's from both sides, from those who do not think he's done enough to stem the the increase in cases, and especially with this new variant. And I, I was on here before, and I said, I think a couple months ago, that we're in a race between the variant and vaccination, the vaccines. The problem is the variant is producing a much deeper curve in terms of the infection rate, whereas vaccinations are a linear process, mm -hmm. most likely. You're not going to all of a sudden um, increase vaccinations until unless the infrastructure is already in place. And as we've seen over time with both Kenny and Doug Ford is that they have um, 
in ways hollowed out that infrastructure. They've ignored federal money to build that infrastructure, which is what they should have been doing over this last year. They've um, they've rejected um, worker protections, like Laura was saying, the essential workers, paid sick leave, et cetera, et cetera, which was partially paid for by the feds. And so um, what we're seeing now is closing the gate after the horse has left. I just want to ask bar. you, I want to ask you one thing, though. Is there any doubt in your mind, because we know Jason Kenney had something like 16 or 15 or 16 MLAs, members of the legislature, opposed to him bringing in stricter guidelines. But is there any doubt in your mind that he'll have to face them again when he brings in yet more? Uh, it's inevitable. Yeah. This is an inevitable process. And I, I, I don't see how you can look at what's happening in other jurisdictions around the world and think it's not going to hit you. I think what Jason Kenney thought was that, you know, the if I err on the economy, then the economy can can will will ramp up faster than I have to deal with actual COVID. And COVID disagreed. Okay, I want to ask both of you on another topic, topic because it was a big subject. Yesterday, Thursday, Aaron O'Toole, the leader of the federal conservatives, announced that the federal conservatives are going to be proposing uh, a type of pricing on carbon and with also a type of uh, where the federal government will have to impose, if it does impose a backstop uh, like the Trudeau government had, the Tories would have a slightly different program of a kind of a savings account. But he is proposing a price on carbon after having criticized the federal, what they call the dreaded job-killing carbon tax. Um, you're both in provinces where the Conservative premiers have been waging war on the Trudeau carbon pricing scheme. Uh, Laura, <laughs> in Conservative circles in Ontario, what are you hearing? Well, notably, we were we were met with stone cold silence uh, the other day when we asked Premier Doug Ford's office, as well as his environment minister, to comment on this plan. I don't think there's a lot of satisfaction among conservative circles uh, as to what Aaron O'Toole uh, announced, and he's trying to twist himself into to knots or pretzels, um, trying to kind of justify why he's imposing a price on carbon after saying that he wouldn't, uh, but by saying it's not a tax because none of it goes to to federal government coffers, but. Um, it's sort of a, a bit of an anti-conservative ideal to tell people how they should spend their money. And that's essentially what this, this plan does uh, by setting up this account that, that would redirect uh, people to spend money on, on green initiatives. But uh, at the same time, you know, he, he, do, he did have to come out with a serious plan and he did have to come out with something stronger than what conservatives yeah. have announced in the past. So he, he's in a difficult position, but I think right now he's he's going to have trouble within his own caucus and within his own party in, in trying to get people on side and excited to promote this initiative um, as we head into you know a potential election in the next few months yeah. or, or certainly in the fall. Okay, Erica, uh, to Alberta. Uh, there's some reports of people who are connected to some Alberta Tories saying that there's the grumblings are really serious in Alberta, where that was one of the the strong one of the uh, one of the strongholds of opposition to the uh, federal carbon tax, as they called it. There's got to be a lot of interesting reaction in Alberta right now. Well, it's another. <laughs> I mean. Let's be honest. I think I think Laura is exactly right. Where if you look at this plan, this plan is a tax. I mean, you could dress it up as a levy or whatever and say that it's not going to the government, but the government is going to effect how the revenue is taken and administered is governmental. Like they can't do that without 
federal authority, right? And so it's it's a lower tax. It's a low, you know, but it's a tax. So to be honest, the conservatives themselves, the party for years, has painted itself in a corner. And after the Supreme Court came out with its um, decision that the carbon, you know, putting a price on carbon is constitutional. Yeah. Uh, they lost the plot. They lost the plot and they had to retreat and they had to come on board. Like I always say, never be on the wrong side of history. Um, for example, I because this is the way you look, you look like you're waffling. Okay. And I, I do think that the conservatives have painted themselves in a corner by rejecting the science of climate change mm -hmm. that everybody else has. Okay, on that note, we that's obviously a topic we will be coming back to. I want to thank both of you for weighing in on this a very busy day. Thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks for watching and have a great weekend.